0: And that's why now I I think it's so important and it's the main thing I try to teach to other people is changing our perspective on the horse. Because after I changed my perspective there, things started to flow at a rapid speed that I, I was not expecting. And all of a sudden the things that I had just admitted to myself and I had just come to terms with we'd never be able to do were happening for us so quickly.
1: Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turbul Country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to their ancestors, past and present. And I'd also like to extend that respect to to each and every one of you listening. In today's episode, I speak with Mosey Truitt from Liberty Horsemanship. Mosey is someone who gives me great hope for the future of horses on the planet. She is young and had the courage to understand there was a different way of being with horses from a teenager, and as a natural part of the social media generation, has a large following on Instagram, and is showing the world of horse people young and old what is possible through choice and positive reinforcement. She is still young and knows that even though she is working in a new way, that there is even further for her to go. She is at a stage of really listening to her horses and seeing what they have to say on where they can go together. I will be keeping a very close eye on Mosey's work as she develops it over the coming years. She is a real leader for her generation, and I love that she is willing to share her story with a fellow podcaster. Mosey could easily have seen me as competition, but instead she saw me as a fellow traveler working with the same dream, to make the world a better place for horses, and she was happy to be interviewed and share her story. Here is Mosey. Mosey, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So am I. So am I. Mosey is a fellow podcaster and um, I will talk about that a little bit later in the show as well. But first of all, tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. I guess you consider
0: me a horse trainer, although we just talked about, I just kind of mentioned that. I don't love that title. I guess I like to think of myself as a horse advocate, but I do train horses and train people mainly to work with horses and to develop a stronger relationship with their horses and to discover something a little more fulfilling in their relationship.
1: It's the story that we've built on a lifetime around the words, isn't it? It's like we don't use breaking horses anymore. We use starting horses Mm -hmm. and there's the word trainer can instill a story and a visual in our head and a judgment that we've already made about what that person does. So what I love about the type of work that you do and all the other trainers do that come on this podcast is that we're rewriting the meaning of these words. So I don't mind what you guys call yourselves. I think what you're doing is incredible. And I'm so glad to be talking to you today. Thank
0: you. I actually just wrote an Instagram post about the power of words and like using the right words and using or looking deeply into their meaning and that's why right now I'm kind of in the mindset of questioning the word trainer and looking at my belief system around it and the story around it, like you said. So I, yeah, I find it really interesting, particularly in the horse world, the words we choose to use and breaking is a great example.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of them that we use traditionally and you don't really think about what it is that they mean. And now we hear the words and it just doesn't feel quite right inside of us. It kind of, It gets you stirring your seat, and it doesn't feel good, and you're like, "I wonder why that is." So that's a really good thing to do: look deeper into those words because breaking it's not something you want to do to your horse.
0: What I wrote about was that I don't mind the term when, for the sake of it being accurate. But what I think is really important is that we look at why we feel uncomfortable in the term, and not just change the term, but instead look at the behavior behind it. So you know, if I'm feeling uncomfortable with the idea of breaking, it's not that I want to just keep doing what I'm doing and then call it something like gentling. I want to instead really look at, am I breaking a horse's spirit or am I not comfortable with the meaning behind this word? And then try to
1: change the action so that the proper term can come along. It makes absolutely perfect sense. So it's, do you dislike the word because of your own actions? Or do you dislike the word because you know there's something that needs to change there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Don't change the word, change the behavior. Yes, yes, exactly. Mosey, did you grow up with horses? Were they always in your life? I grew up loving horses for sure, but I, well, I I was
0: around horses because my aunt had horses and my family, every year we'd go to this ranch in the summer and spend a week with horses. So I was on and off around horses as a kid, but it was when I was 12 that I got my first horse and my soulmate horse, Annie. And then after that is when I really had the opportunity to dive in deep with them.
1: And what kind of horse is Annie?
0: Annie's a Dapple Grey Quarter horse.
1: Oh, beautiful. And tell me more about her. How did you come about getting Annie?
0: I had met Annie at this ranch where she was born and she had just come back from cutting training. And I kind of immediately fell in love with her. And I had been riding a few different horses at the ranch, but after I met her, and she was only three at the time, so she was coming back from cutting training like she had been started at two. It was quite, we were like these two little girls together. We used to do this thing in my family around Christmas where my grandparents, because they had so many kids and so many grandkids, they would give us money, and then we would buy something that showed our interest, and then we would, on Christmas morning, basically present to them what gifts we got. So they got to learn about us, and we got to get something we really liked, and it was this fun kind of game in our family.
1: Wow, that's so amazing. What cool grandparents.
0: Yeah, it, it was so
1: sweet, and it was,
0: it was always such a special time, and I had been saying I wanted a horse for so long, and my parents were not really down for it, at all? <laughs> well, I, I guess as I got older, they had to be because they let this happen. But I basically told them, or I presented to my entire family on Christmas morning that I was saving my money because I was going to put it towards trying to buy this horse Annie. And it wasn't nearly enough money to buy her, but it was—it was like the start of my fun. And then my grandparents said that they had an extra gift for me. And they gave me this little box, and I'm opening it in front of the whole family, and I really wasn't sure what it was. And it was a picture of Annie with a bow in her hair.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And then we all started crying, and I could cry now thinking about it. And So
1: could I. That's so beautiful.
0: It's so beautiful. (laughs) It was just the, like, biggest dream come true. And, yes, my grandparents, I think they must have talk to my parents and they must have all figured it out. But it felt like they kind of bypassed them and and got me my horse.
1: Wow. What was it like opening that box? Did it click immediately? I think it, it did, but I was almost like,
0: I wasn't quite sure if it was real. I saw her picture in the box and like my whole heart leapt, thinking, does this mean that she's mine? And And then I looked up and I think I had the question in my face and I was looking at my grandmother and she like smiled and nodded. And I don't remember if she said something, but I knew that she was giving me Annie like right in that moment. And then it was just like pure bliss. Thinking about the magic of that moment, it was probably one of my like happiest moments of my whole life, except for maybe like the next day when I saw Annie and I like gave her a big hug and I like was crying in her mane that finally the world understood we're meant to be
1: together. That's so beautiful. What happened once you had finished crying in her mane? What was your plan? Well, at the
0: time, I'm really, really grateful because I really didn't have much training or riding training up at that point. And we were kind of an interesting match because I was 12 and hadn't been taking riding lessons, although I'd been riding on and off my whole life, mainly trail rides with my aunt. And she was this three-year-old, she wasn't fiery, but, you know, she was a three-year-old with quite a bit of energy and very, very stable-minded because she's she's just very grounded. But, you know, we were these two, like, little girls together, and we were on this ranch that is it's still where we are, and it was pretty much private at the time. Like, my mom would take me out every weekend and just drop me off there, and I might not see anyone else while I was there, and it was just me and Annie, and we'd go basically galloping around the whole ranch and that's what we did is I would just like tack up and we'd go riding and most of the time in those early years she was kind of just taking off with me and I was holding on and just having like the best time ever but with not that much control beautiful but it was it was really wonderful and and after that you know we started to learn each other a little bit more and I basically trail rode for quite a few years after that and we traveled I took her a bunch of places and we rode trails. Oh, we just like galloped them for miles and miles, which now I'm like, Annie was a strong little girl just like carrying me everywhere. Yeah, it was really, really fun. And she was my best friend and I loved her so much
1: there's a few stories like this. Ponies just have a knowledge and they, because they there's such a reflection on you that when you're a child, you just don't have the stories. You don't have the worries. It's just, let's go and have some fun. And the horse says, absolutely no problem. I will help you with that. And it's a beautiful thing to do.
0: It really is. And I think Annie definitely felt that at the time. And when it came time for me to question things and to grow, she stepped into that, like very much teaching role too, which- The beginning was really blissful and fun.
1: Great. And when was it that you did start to question? How did that unfold?
0: Well, when I got into high school, so I'd been with Annie for quite a while at this time, I basically found out that I could skip PE if I joined the equestrian team, which sounded really amazing to me because I hated running. And when I thought of PE, it was just like running laps. And I was like, this is the best deal ever. I can skip PE. And I can go play with my horse after school and we just have to do like three competitions a year and I'll get out of this. And it sounded like a perfect deal, but I had never done training before. So, you know, I was really in it for just like the fun of it. I was like, this will just be a new adventure for me and Annie. Will I decided to do dressage. It was like dressage or jumping were our two options and just kind of randomly picked dressage, honestly, out of those two then we started training for that year. And that was really my first formal, formal training. I had gone to some horse camps and I had obviously had a few lessons here and there, but this was the first time I was at a barn and Annie was in a stall and we were, you know, working towards this goal of competing. And it was quite a different world from where we were coming from because I had, I was compared to like a crazy barrel racer rider, apparently, because I was I just kind of like hop on and go. and
1: Yeah, and you had a quarter horse.
0: And I had a quarter horse, and yeah, it's not exactly a dressage pony. Mm. But, you know, I was really just in it for the fun. But it was really important because it was at that time that I started to notice that things were different in the horse world than I kind of knew isolated in my own little paradise with Annie. And I just started to notice that a lot of the horses at this barn were – Quite sad, I guess. It was the first time I had really, really experienced a place where I thought a lot of the horses, if they didn't have to engage with me, they didn't really want to. And I started getting really worried that that was going to happen to Annie, that she was going to shut down and, and lose her personality. And it kind of sent me into this spiraling identity crisis because I knew something was wrong or something that I I knew something was out of alignment for me, although I didn't have the words.
1: Mm. How old were you at this time?
0: I guess I was 14,
1: I think. That's a really amazing insight to be able to have at 14, I must say.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think at 14, I didn't really know where this was going to be taking me. <laughs> you know, I, I just felt that something was off. The hard part was... Really not knowing exactly what it was because I decided to take Annie out of the barn and to stop the competitions and to basically go home and reevaluate everything. And at first, I thought I was just going to be questioning like the dressage world and competing. But as it goes, like as your eyes start to open to more and more of the horse's feelings, I couldn't really shut that off. And I started to notice other things that Annie was feeling that had to do with things I had already been doing. So I wasn't anticipating having to question my own methods, but all of a sudden I was questioning everything I'd ever done with her. And I was questioning how we rode and I was questioning how much she really wanted to engage in the things that I thought we loved together so much.
1: And how did that unfold? So You said she started teaching you as well. You're having these incredible insights and you said she stepped in as your teacher. What kind of things did she do to show you that you're absolutely right in questioning all of this and we need to find a different way? How did she give you that?
0: In the beginning, she ignored me a lot. (laughs) Great. Yeah. I look back now and it was probably the most important thing she could have done. It really helped me get where I needed to go but at the time it was heartbreaking. And I remember there were things that I started to think, well, you know, I was questioning riding and then I was questioning the bit and I was questioning the whole kind of forcing her into this. So I started to take off the tack and I was saying, you know, I think we really like doing this together. I think we love going on these rides and, and doing this stuff. So if I take away the tack Annie's going to, we're just going to be able to do it. And, I took it away. And that just was not the case. And everything that I thought that we had enjoyed so much together that I think that when we were younger, you know, she did enjoy the level of the freedom and the rides we were doing. But I, I really feel that she also knew I was going through a shift at this point. And she basically just said no to everything I wanted to do. And it was incredibly humbling because Everything that used to be really easy for us all of a sudden was the biggest challenge. I remember even just walking her to the arena, like leading her, trying to do it without force and trying to do it in a way that I now felt was aligned with what I wanted and how I wanted to treat her. It felt so impossible. And every small step was was just so challenging. And I was questioning myself so much. And at the same time, hearing from all these different places and people that I loved and trusted, too, that I was ruining my horse by letting her get away from things. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That, That was like one of the worst comments I think I heard was that I was ruining her. Because I didn't know if that was true. Part of me really wondered if it felt like we were regressing so much. And that everything was becoming difficult, that I was maybe doing something very wrong and something that ultimately wasn't going to serve either of us.
1: And what do you think it was inside of you that kept you going? What kept you on this path to find the truth, your truth?
0: I think it was really a devotion to Annie because I had made this sort of promise to her that I was going to find a way to do it without the force or I wasn't going to do it at all. And there are definitely times when I used force, not even knowing that I was using force because, you know, there's, uh, at the time there weren't that many sources online, you know, there was Pirelli, but I also didn't really have the money at 14 to like invest in Pirelli and all the workshops. So I, so I never really did that. And mm-hmm. I'm, glad I didn't, just because I think I needed to learn from her. And I think I needed to learn kind of on our own. And I think it was a a combination of having the safe space that we went back to the ranch where we had grown up. And for the most part, I was still kind of left alone to do what I needed. So I'd hear these comments and people would, you know, say things that really hurt my feelings and questioned what I was doing. But but 90% of the time, we were alone. And I just wanted something deeper with Annie so badly. And I wanted I wanted her to enjoy our time together. So I think my devotion to her was definitely the, the thing that kept me going. Well, the situation wouldn't have been there without Annie. But I just think if I was somehow alone in the process, I probably wouldn't have kept on it. But it was because I felt like I wanted to honor her in that way that I kept going.
1: It's an amazing bravery you had and resilience and dedication at such a young age. It's, there's a lot in there. You've done so well. Well, thank you. (laughs) And when was the moment of breakthrough? So you had all the no's, you had all the negativity. Can you tell us about the moment that you got the first little glimmer that something you were doing was right?
0: I had this one moment that I think was a really big game changer for us where I had tried all these different things. You know, the process was messy and it wasn't, it wasn't a straight shot there. So I had tried like doing join up in a way, even though I didn't know what that was called. And I had tried, like, I had tried adding all this pressure and Annie would look at me and I could just feel that like something was, was off. Like she'd give me this look whenever I tried to add some sort of, kind of like natural horsemanship pressure to her and make something happen. And her look at me would just like kind of break my heart. So I started to get pretty hopeless that we were ever going to be able to do anything together. And I started just sitting in the arena every time I saw her and I would, I would sit on the mounting block and I'd have carrots for her and she'd just walk away and like face her butt to me. And I would just sit there and eat the carrots, sometimes crying but this one day i was sitting there and i was eating carrots and i had finished the carrots and i was just kind of looking at her and feeling kind of rejected again and i just had this thought that even if this is all we do and even if we never can do the things that i that i see in my head we can't ride bridalists down the beach like i wanted to do so badly we can't do the tricks that i was really hoping would Bond us in some way. If we can't even lead from here to the arena without it taking like 40 minutes, then that's okay because this right here is enough. And if I'm just with Annie and getting to s- spend this time and share a life with her, then that's enough for me. And it was pretty immediate that after I had that thought, that was one of the first times Annie came up to me in the arena and actually wanted to engage. And it was like seeing my best friend again.
1: Yeah, good old surrender. Yeah, good old
0: surrender, right? Yeah, I think that it was the mindset change that changed everything for us. And that's why now I, I think it's so important. And it's the main thing I try to teach to other people is changing our perspective on the horse. Because after I changed my perspective there, things started to flow at a rapid speed that I I was not expecting. And all of a sudden the things that I had just admitted to myself and I had just come to terms with we'd never be able to do were happening for us so quickly. And that was like a dream, but I also realized that I didn't, it wasn't the point as much anymore.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. And if you think about it, if I go out to my horse with a preconceived idea, there's no partnership there. I go out thinking, right, well, we're going to try dressage and we're going to try jumping and we're going to try team penning and we're going to try this and we're going to try that. And then we'll just see what happens and we'll see what we both like. There's no real choice there, is there? But if we walk out and we just go, hey, let's just see what happens. Let's just hang out together and do a bit together and we'll see where it goes and we'll make the choice together. There's two totally different feelings. You can still try the same things, but if you go in with the preconceived idea, it's, it feels completely different. It really does. And, and
0: that's why I think, you know, the lesson felt kind of excruciating for me at the time with Annie, but I think it was the most important one of all, especially at that time, because if we had just been able to jump in and start riding bridalists and doing all these tricks, like nothing would have actually changed for me and nothing would have actually changed for her. And it was surrendering into the moment like you said and coming to that place of true partnership and true acceptance for her as she was that we switched from a mindset of of performance in a way to one of real relationship beautiful so often we come to horses with something we want to do and it's sort of like a friend if you were to go and Every time you hung out, you just you had like an agenda, and you had something you wanted from them. It starts become to become using in a way, you know. And we might feel used by that friend. And I think horses get used a lot for their bodies, and just for you know their, even their spirit and who they are in general. And to switch your perspective from one of using to one of really accepting them and loving them unconditionally where they are right now and not for anything they can do for you, but for who they are, I think they feel that so strongly. And I think that was the biggest mind shift change that opened up all these doors for me and Annie.
1: Yeah. And the best thing about it is you can't fake it. They can read you like a book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you can't walk in and go, yeah, yeah, we'll do whatever you want. Cause they, they absolutely know your intention before you walk in. They really do. So when you went forward in training her from the moment of surrender, did you ask her to do the same things just with a different intention mm-hmm. or did you change the things you were asking of her as well? How much changed going forward? For example,
0: I thought that, you know, maybe I would teach her to rear. Like that was something that was kind of showing and showy that I really liked. And it looked kind of like this natural horsemanship thing to do and, And I'd also gotten all this information online that like is going to help her quote unquote, like respect me. So when I had tried to do that before having this kind of mental shift and emotional shift with her, she'd give me that look that was just like, like, what are you doing? And it would break my heart. And I just had to stop and I couldn't really continue. And then when we started playing from this place of, I wasn't trying to get her to do anything Things like running around and rearing and playing together just felt a lot less forced because I wasn't trying to make it happen. But also, it was really interesting. A lot of things, once I actually shifted my perspective, all these other things started to come into alignment. So I found positive reinforcement training, and I didn't know what that was at the time, but I had just kind of started to implement some of the ideas of positive reinforcement because I guess it was kind of like the natural shift from pressure to positive. And then I ended up having this one day with this trainer where she introduced me to the actual term of positive reinforcement. And I was like, oh, there's like terms for this and there's a language for this. And that was very eye-opening for me because it kind of took all these things I had started to naturally do and gave them a language. And I think language is so powerful and giving things names are so powerful. So that kind of helped me to really see why the things that I was doing were working and also why the things I had tried before, like what they were working off of. And, um, and yeah, then things just started to kind of, they were fun at that point. I don't think I was as attached to the outcome anymore. And it was just like a whole lot of experimenting that Annie seemed really just as equally interested in.
1: Such an extraordinary thing to be able to have that amazing breakthrough. Mm -hmm. You spoke of a trainer previously. Who was it who actually helped you and supported you along the way? Yeah,
0: I had one day with the trainer named Cynthia Royal. She introduced me to positive reinforcement training. And so I, I had that one day with her, She basically introduced me to the concept and then recommended a book that I read. And that was the only time I had with her. But that book and the concept that she introduced me to was really, really, like I said, like with the language, it really solidified for me and kind of made me understand why the things I was doing were working. Mm. And the book I read was called Reaching the Animal Mind by Karen Pryor. And it's, it's actually a dog training book but I read it and and just started to have m- so much more of an idea of really why the train like traditional horseman training works you know kind of demystifying also some of the the techniques of natural horsemanship that are said to work off of the like natural horseman or the natural instincts of the horse and and it gave me a lot more answers about what's actually going on in that training and why it still feels like force. And it also gave me this other route to start exploring, which was positive reinforcement training. That's one of the aspects of what I would call my horsemanship that is probably the most showy, you know, it's the
1: most like
0: Instagram.
1: Instagram worthy.
0: Yeah. But it's certainly not all of it, but it is a really wonderful It was a wonderful
1: place for me to start. And I love how you were speaking before with this book about behavior and you could see why traditional horsemanship and natural horsemanship worked. Can you give us a little bit more about that? Because I know my listeners would love to hear that.
0: Yeah, I I would love to. Well, I guess I'll do some of the natural horsemanship because I think that to me felt at the time the most mystical in the way that it wasn't necessarily positive for me. Cause it more felt like, like here are these methods you can do. And I don't know why they work, but it seems to be when these trainers do them, they get these results. But when, you know, the person at home goes and tries to do these, you know, whether it's like round penning or any of the kind of um, dominance games, mm. they don't work for everyone and i was always kind of wondering like is there something really about the nature of the horse that running a horse in a circle that it's going to you know all of a sudden respect me or is something else going on here and and looking into learning theory really helped me to see what was actually going on and i guess i'll the
1: round penning was a really uh, really insightful one for me great i'd love to talk more about that okay let's demystify the but Jesus out of it.
0: Okay, let's demystify the Jesus out of round penning. I love it. Well, you know, so basically, there's like four quadrants to learning theory, and there's negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, negative punishment, and positive punishment. And I find that most traditional and natural horsemanship techniques are in the realm of negative reinforcement. So, an example of negative reinforcement is you do something that's adverse. And then when the horse listens, you release. So it's the basic idea of like pressure and release. So for instance, if you're riding with a bit and you pull to the right, you know, this is very simple, but you pull to the right and then, you know, the horse might resist. You pull a little harder and then the horse turns to the right and then you release. So that is negative reinforcement. So, you know, the same thing actually applies to round penning if you're pressuring a horse around a circle and you know in in some techniques the idea is you push the horse around the circle and then you turn away and the horse follows you once they've gained respect for you but horses are actually very very smart and they kind of figure out this learning game we're doing with them where you know you're pressuring a horse around a circle and then when you stop they turn into you and then all of a sudden they start to associate that oh if I want them to stop, I have to turn into them. And then let's say the horse instead is running around the circle and you stop and the horse keeps going or the horse turns their butt to you and then you put the pressure back on. They realize, oh, that's not what I have to do because the pressure continues. So if you're pressuring the horse, pressuring the horse, and when the horse turns in and walks towards you and you stop that pressure and you don't make them run around the circle anymore, they're going to learn very quickly that they should turn in and follow you. And it's not because of this, you know, horses understand the round pen and they respect the round pen. You know, it's a very conditioned behavior. And it makes a lot of sense when you start to look at how all mammals learn, because it's not just how horses learn. This is also how we learn, how dolphins learn, how dogs learn. And yeah, so some of those like kind of mystical techniques you start to see are more very precise and very well-timed usages of these different learning quadrants. So very precisely done negative reinforcement.
1: So it feels a lot more like, is the horse coming in to follow you because the horse actually wants to be with you? Or is the horse saying, can you please get me the hell out of here and can we stop this game? And there's two very different ways to look at the exact same exercise very much so and and I have to say the the first you know version
0: there is a lot more romantic and it's a lot it's something that I would really want for my horse you know I I I really I did that too you know I tried pushing Annie around in the around pen and if she had joined up with me and had walked around with me I would have been thrilled with that you know and I would have loved the idea that she Respected me now, and she wanted to be with me. And that's why I also feel lucky that when I was trying those things, it didn't really work for Annie because she would just give me this look that made me feel like she was having none of it. And she was like, I felt like she was looking at me and just like calling out my bullshit in a way. And, and it, yeah, it just didn't really
1: work for us. She sounds fantastic. Isn't it great that you get the exact horse that you need for where it is you know you need to be? A beautiful horse. So true. <laughs> so, negative reinforcement is basically like pressure and release. And
0: then you have positive punishment. And so, the thing about these terms is positive doesn't mean good, it means adding something. And negative doesn't mean bad, it means taking something away. So, in negative reinforcement, you're taking away the pressure. In positive punishment, you're adding something adverse. An example would be just off the top of my head, a horse turns in to bite you and you slap them on the face. Mm -hmm. That example just shows how it's, it's very clearly like this punishment that we think of, that something, they do something and to make it happen less often, you add something into the mix, add something extra, which is the hit, the slap. Got it. Yes. So negative punishment means you're removing something pleasant in order to decrease behavior. So that could be something like, Taking away a horse's food Mm -hmm. or, you know, I kind of have the thought of it as like taking candy from a baby, you know, like you you take away a privilege or you take away something that the horse finds good and it decreases behavior because reinforcement means you're going to increase or maintain a behavior and punishment means you're going to decrease it. So keep it from happening. Like you can get into the science of them a lot. And I have found that it's really, really beneficial to know what they are in order to, you know, kind of know what's working. Like in the, in the instance of why I was really questioning, like, why does round penning work? And, and being able to kind of study and learn these things helped me to understand it a lot. But when I go out with the horses, I'm not usually thinking like, Now this is positive punishment and I'm going to like, you know, map out X, Y, Z in this very like science way. You know, it comes pretty intuitively.
1: It's just good to lay the foundation, isn't it, for you in your head. Our human minds just need that little bit of proof. So it's great to be able to have an understanding and then go out and, and just do what you need to do while you're working.
0: Yeah, it really is. And yeah, so the last quadrant is positive reinforcement, which basically means that you add something pleasant in order to increase or maintain a behavior. But what that basically means is that you're rewarding a horse or you're rewarding behavior rather than punishing it or punishing a horse for it or using fear or something adverse to train a horse. So the big difference in positive reinforcement is if the horse says no, there's no consequence. There's no negative consequence, I should say. In the other ones, if a horse says no, there's a lot of things you can do to take that choice away by adding something or subtracting something that's good or adding something that's bad. But in positive reinforcement, the way I do it, if they say no, nothing happens. Nothing negative happens.
1: What does happen when they say no?
0: I accept it, (laughs) basically. I really try also not to ask again because... I think that another way of not accepting a no is by continuously asking.
1: Otherwise known as nagging.
0: Yes, exactly. Known as nagging. So I've done a lot of work and really tried to train myself that when a horse says no, I try to accept it right away, Um, which can be really hard to do, you know, especially when you have things you want to do. Yeah,
1: I've got kids. I know exactly how hard that is. That's extraordinary. That takes such patience and willpower. It's Yeah, that's wonderful. You can do that. That's a lot of discipline there.
0: I think it's gotten easier. I think also I've come to realize that for most horses, when you really allow them to say no, you start getting a lot more genuine yeses. So for me, When a horse says no, especially in the beginning of the unbreaking process, as I like to call it, you know, when a horse has been broken and you're trying to open them back up and kind of bring out their creative side, for me, once they start saying no, I see it as this really positive sign because a true no is the first step to a true yes. Because a horse that thinks they're never allowed to say no and has been taught that all of their yeses, to me don't mean they don't, they don't have the same meaning behind them.
1: And is that like learned helplessness? Yes. Yes. It's
0: very closely related.
1: <laughs> and that's where horses just have had so much negative reinforcement and positive and negative punishment that they say, Oh, just do whatever, whatever. And people say, you've got such a quiet horse. You've got such a lovely horse. And they're just like, whatever.
0: Yeah. That's actually another one of, you know, the kind of idea of desensitizing horses or you see a lot of in the round pen actually with like chasing horses with flags, you know, or something scary and, and kind of flooding them with this, this really scary thing to the point where the horse all of a sudden gets quiet and people think, oh, wow, that horse has like really conquered their fear. They really accepted it. But really that's a prime example of learned helplessness where they basically just, accepted the fact that no matter what they do, they can't change their situation. And they just accept the fear, basically. Which is also the definition of hopelessness, or of not having hope, is when you've basically accepted that you can't do anything to change your situation. So so I don't see it as, you know, you might get a quiet horse, but it, it makes you really question what your methods are and, you know, if it's the end goal you're looking for, a quiet horse, or if you're looking for the process to empower your horse in your relationship.
1: And what's so wonderful about this is that no matter what methods people are using out there, I honestly believe that everyone loves their horse. They just don't quite know the way. And so that's why I love that people like you are out there. I was actually reading your beautiful blog on the desensitization as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do to create a brave horse?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I also, I just want to mention because I, I feel that so strongly too that I think everyone or or most people that get into horses absolutely love their horse. And everything that, you know, I talk about now is something that I might not do, I've probably done. And, And yeah, I just think it's about expanding your awareness with the horse. And I know I still have a lot to go. You know, I don't want to ever feel like I I know it all because I don't. But these are just the things that I've learned so far that have really helped me grow my relationship and deepen it. But yeah, getting back to uh, what you're saying about the desensitization, the learned helplessness, while it might appear to work for a while, as soon as the horse finds something that's scary enough, that's more scary than, you know, maybe the threat of pain or a force in some way, they're not going to feel empowered. And at some point, I mean, any horse can spook at some point, but I think it's it's less stable because really what you've done is disempowered the horse a little more by having them accept this helplessness. So for me, empowering them and making them feel like they can conquer the things that are scary. I just find it to be so much more aligned with what I want for the horses and also something that lasts a lot longer and seems to really affect the horse in all areas. So to empower a horse, I really want them to feel like they can conquer their fear. And it's not about them just accepting it, but them being able to seek it out because they feel really brave. They feel powerful, basically. So we already talked about you know, the idea of being in a round pen and chasing a horse around with a plastic bag and not really giving up until they just kind of accept it. Well, the game that I like to do that empowers the horse instead and what I have found has really worked is allowing the horse to chase the bag. So with positive reinforcement, you can do this thing called targeting where basically you can ask a horse to touch an object even if it's a scary object. And if they don't touch it, nothing happens. But if they do, they can get a reward. So with this, I really like to use just like little treats or if your horse like scratches, you know, you can give them scratches. But I think this is a really fun game if you bring out a few carrots and, and you start empowering your horse to actually seek out and chase the things that are scary for them. So I like to call this game Chase the Ghost." But basically you bring out your plastic bag and you can tie it at the end of a lunge line and you can ask your horse if they'll touch it. And you never advance with the horse or onto the horse with the bag. So you're never chasing the horse with the bag. And I also like to do this in a really wide open space so that the horse, if they need to run away, can fully run away. And then you just start rewarding any steps of bravery for them. So, I've had a couple horses that are so scared, you know, you're in the pasture, you bring it out and they might be like, like 50 feet away from you. And they might be snorting and looking and I will not advance with them or onto them with the bag, but instead I'll wait and maybe even walk away with it. And if the horse takes a step forward and starts to become a little more curious about the bag, then you can click and reward and I'll give them a piece of the carrot. And And you can just do that at the smallest little steps. You know, if the horse is 20 feet away and steps one foot in, you can just click reward. And you're just sort of reinforcing for them this idea that they can be brave and that when they're brave, something really good happens. And usually within, like, a couple of sessions, which I usually keep the sessions of this, like, to 10 minutes, you have a horse that's touching the plastic bag. And then you have a horse that's chasing the plastic bag. So... You know, the first time the horse touches the plastic bag and it might make a scary sound, I'll click and I'll reward and the horse might think it's scary for a minute. But as soon as they start hearing that click and they start thinking, oh, that means something good is happening, they start to associate their mind and their mind, this act of bravery with something really, really positive. And so what I like to do is go running across the pasture, you know, and I keep taking the bag away. I don't advance the bag at them, I take it away. So if they take a step forward, towards the bag, click reward, and then I will walk a few steps away so that they constantly have to seek the thing that they're scared of. And usually by the end, the horses are so into it, you know, horses that have been scared of plastic bags for years and have maybe never even given in to the um, learned helplessness because they were so scared. They're chasing the plastic bag and they're like biting at it and they might be striking at it. I've had a couple of horses that get really into it and like, they basically attack this plastic bag. You can just see when you've done this and when, when they really feel empowered with this game, it seems to translate to all other areas. Because that a horse that is empowered and has conquered a fear like this just with a plastic bag, the next time they meet something scary they're going to be more in the mindset of I can conquer this and I can.
1: Something good may very well come out of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's switching it from a place of fear to a place of creativity.
1: Absolutely. And when you, when you just listen to the stories of the two types of training, one makes you feel quite sad and the other one, I've got a smile on my face the whole time because it sounds like so much fun. It really is a lot of fun. And who likes to learn d- doing fun things? Everybody.
0: Everyone, especially the horses. Yeah. They get so into this game. This is a particular game that I just, some horses get a little too into it. Like I, I have one horse that was actually really, really scared of plastic bags and really scared of cars. And and this is a great example of how it kind of blends into everything. This horse was terrified of having the halter on touching when a car drove by or even just walking around a corner and seeing a car and of the plastic bag, of course. So we started working on this game and all of a sudden he's like chasing after this bag and he's biting at this bag and he was still very safe with me. I'm like, I have it on a really long, long lunge line. And basically he's going nuts with it. And then we walk out of the arena after like the first time doing this. And he just has this new like power about him and I'm walking by and I'm walking with the plastic bag and they just kind of like we're coming up to a car and I put the plastic bag out just to see if he'll, you know, focus on the bag instead of the car. And uh, he does, and he's not even like worried about the car. And I'm a little shocked. And then on his own, he goes up to the car and he starts touching it the way that he was doing the plastic bag wow. and looking at me like, like he had already associated the idea of something scary could be made into something empowering and something fun and could be a game.
1: And also internally he feels brave. Mm-hmm. He doesn't feel shut down. He feels like he's got a choice. He feels brave. Like he he has to feel brave in order to do that. He does.
0: And that's really like the thing I love about play. I think play The same way creativity does, it takes us out of a place of fear and into a place of possibility and, and interacting with our world from, from a much more open space. And I think as soon as the world becomes your playground with your horse, the horses take that so literally too. And new objects and new places all of a sudden become new playgrounds that they can work
1: with. (laughs) it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful in every way. So back to Annie, she taught you all these amazing things. Where did you then take that?
0: Well, basically, so I was in high school at the time that I really started to learn this. And I think I was 16 or 17 when we started getting really quote unquote good. And people started to recognize what we were doing as something of value which I always thought was pretty ironic because it was the people that some of the people that had told me that what I was doing was ruining my horse were all of a sudden really, really supportive of it as soon as there were results. And as soon as there was something we were doing, you know,
1: Yeah.
0: and I always thought that was kind of funny, but I basically from there, just, we were having such a fun time exploring everything. And And we wanted to learn everything. The the process of learning new things, it became blissful for both of us. And we were just working on new tricks and new writing things like every day and really developing a lot of the, what I would now call the training aspect of it. You know, the, the part that is a little more Instagram worthy. And we did start posting on Instagram and It was just like my personal account. I was in high school and I was just having fun and didn't really know what Instagram was, but we started to get some attention and it just became really fun to share what we were learning and to share our journey in a way. And from there it kind of took off into this world, this horse community that I I did not know existed. And I started to see that there was a lot of people that wanted to do these things and also who were doing these things too. And for the first time, I didn't feel as alone in my horse philosophy. So Instagram was this really wonderful platform. It definitely opened the door to me of understanding like what was possible and the fact that I could make this into a career too. And that there was enough interest, like you said, to really make a difference for the horse world. And I think that's when I started to get also very passionate about wanting to make, wanting to make change in the horse world and wanting to, by example, just help people who were in the same spot I was, you know, when I was first questioning everything and having my like mini identity crisis, that it is very possible and that there are other ways and they're out there and, and we're not alone.
1: Oh, it's just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Everything that you're doing is beautiful. How many horses do you have now?
0: I have five.
1: (laughs) Ah, you're collecting.
0: Yes. It seemed to happen pretty quickly. Like I had just Annie for so long and then it felt like in a year, it was more than a year, but it felt like, it felt like overnight all of a sudden I had five (laughs) and I love them all so much. So, so much.
1: What is it that you do now? What did you decide to do? Where did you start? Did you start just doing workshops? One workshop and then it grew into others?
0: So what first happened was I worked on a movie. So from Instagram, I got a couple of opportunities and I started to teach a little bit, but nothing like too serious. I think I was still pretty you know, like you're timid in the beginning of like, is what I have to say really like a value and And I I was just feeling it all out. And then I got this opportunity to work on a movie doing the horse training for it. You know, you're working on a movie and, you know, there's a budget and they want to get these certain shots and they want to have a guarantee. And what I do with the horses, you know, there isn't a guarantee. There's never a guarantee with horses. But I told the director, you know, if the horse says no, I'm not going to push them. So if you don't get your shot and the horse says no... Like, that's going to be, that's my ethics. That's what I'm, I'm going to have to let it go. And this director was really amazing. And he was making a movie about horse therapy. And he said, no, that's actually really, really aligned with what I, what the movie is about and with what I want to do. And he took a chance with it. And I told him he wanted Annie to be in the film and to be the main horse with this girl and, or with the actress. And I was just like a little too jealous to let that happen. <laughs> and I also think Annie wouldn't have been down. Annie's not actually a very like physically affectionate horse, especially with people that she doesn't know. Mm. So all the cuddling scenes and like kissing and like loving on her. I don't think she was going to look happy because she was not going to be happy about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's important that when you've got horses, you're able to speak up for them as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and I knew that if I saw another girl kissing on Annie, I would have been, like,
1: <laughs> not happy either. Yeah, it's just a no.
0: Yeah, it's just a no. So I suggested to him that there's this other horse on the ranch, and I had never worked with her, but I, I just had this really good feeling about her that she was really going to be into this sort of play and was going to be really, really solid as far as all of the kind of crazy demands of working on a film. And we only had a few months, but I said, "Give me these two months, and I'll I'll work with her, and we'll do play and everything you want her to do. Just give me the list, and we'll make them into games. And I think it'll work out, and I think she'll be really into it. and And he gave us a chance, and he was like, "Yep, I want you to do it." And he wrote a whole script, like he kind of adjusted it to fit her style and who she was. and And then we worked on the movie, and we did the whole thing at Liberty. She was free on set the entire time and there are like giant cranes and there are these you know giant flapping reflectors, you know, that are size of like a house for the lighting. And there's like a hundred people. And she was free on set the entire time. And she would have to do every take like over 20 times because that's how many shots they would be taking. And she just did the whole thing so phenomenally.
1: That is extraordinary. Like that's beyond extraordinary. It really was.
0: (laughs) Is the movie out? What's the
1: movie called?
0: Yeah, it's an independent film. I think you can find it on iTunes now. It was on Showtime for a while, but it's called Girl on the Edge. And now that horse that I really connect with her on set and, you know, working this film together and now she's my horse too. (laughs) So
1: one of the five. (laughs) So that's incredible. How old were you when you did that movie? I think I was 18. Wow. At that time. Oh, my God. And see what happens when you're brave. Like You're you're so lucky, in a sense, to be born of the generation that you are, that you have this incredible ability to step up and be brave at such a young age and move forward with this. You're a real leader of your generation, and it's so fantastic to hear these stories. You, As an 18-year-old, you had a horse on a movie set at full liberty. Oh,
0: thank you. well, I, th- I really appreciate you saying all of that.
1: Uh, it has to be a first, surely.
0: <laughs> it, honestly, I can't believe the director was so open with it. He was really great because I think Sierra did amazing and I had a feeling she would, but for a director to take a chance like that on, you know, the the trainer basically saying, if it doesn't work out, it's just not going to work out for your movie.
1: But he's also making a movie that he must believe in about equine therapy, about a horse really helping a human. So it's great to see that he's able to back up his words with action. You know, you'd hate to think he's making this really emotional, amazing movie about horse therapy, but you must do this to the horse in order to get it to do that and look good on screen. So it's it just makes the movie all round really whole and 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 beautiful, authentic. That's the word I'm looking for. That yeah. makes it really authentic from start to finish, doesn't it? it?
0: It really does. And I have to say Sierra, Sierra was just phenomenal. That I had a really good feeling about her for it. I think, you know, all these horses or almost every horse I've ever met can really shine doing Liberty work, doing Liberty play. But it does take a really special mindset of a horse to be able to handle the amount of Pressure she was under for it and I tried to minimize pressure as much as I could but I have to say after the end of that movie I was so exhausted and so like emotionally drained because I think I was trying to keep all the pressure off of her and I, I just took it on myself a little bit yeah that then when it was time to do workshops afterwards I was like I don't know if it can be harder than the movie so yeah <laughs> but I was still very very scared to start doing workshops but I knew. I knew I just kind of had to fake it till I became it.
1: (laughs) Whilst there's a few people out there doing this now, there's still not that many compared to other types of trainers. So it's really important to get your work out there. But you must have built confidence by now.
0: I feel pretty good. I I now I must say, teaching workshops is like I, I feel very passionate about it. I kind of I do love it when I have a group of people and being able to share this this work that I love so much and is so close to my heart. You know, I still get nerves sometimes, but for the most part, it's just really, really rewarding and really fulfilling.
1: So I really love it. And you do a few different workshops now. Mm -hmm. So you do Foundations of Liberty, Horsemanship and Photography, Core strength for empowerment and unlocking creativity through the power of play. Yeah, that was a that's that was
0: a really fun workshop. We we did that uh, early on this summer. That that I'm really into the into exploring creativity right now, and I think the workshops are starting to reflect that a lot. And I'm actually. I'm kind of in the works of changing up some of my curriculum and the foundation of Liberty Clinic is still like my, I really love that. And I, that's probably my favorite workshop to teach, but I'm starting to expand sort of what I want these workshops to be because, you know, I'm very passionate about the horse training part, but there's also so much the horses have to teach us. And I really love focusing on that in my own work. So the new workshops, like the ones on creativity are really focused on how like working with the horse can help you to unlock your own creativity and unlocking it in the horse also helps us unlock. It's sort of like about the lessons of the horse. And I teach that with my insanely amazing friend, Nina Polo, and she's pretty incredible. And so we're hoping to do a lot more together in the future too. I kind of feel like I'm going through another identity crisis with the horses right now and I actually feel like a lot of my training is starting to shift and I feel like it's hard to go through that shift at any time. And yeah, and you want to get to a place where you feel like you you kind of have a handle on things and you know, you know what you know and there's a safety and a comfort in that. But really, if you kind of settle into that place, what I'm finding is it starts to get restrictive. And I feel like I'm very much in a Transitional place right now where I'm starting to learn and change even more. And I'm really excited and I don't really have any answers with that or have any, anything concrete to talk about other than the shift is still happening and it's still deepening. And I think it's an exciting place to be wherever you are with your horsemanship journey to know that it's always going to be changing and it's always going to be deepening. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah,
1: it just solidifies things that I hear over and over again, which is horses are here to teach us so much. And it's so beautiful that you've come so far, but you've still got a long way to go. It excites me as well to think for what you're doing now is so amazing, but you can go further. It's really extraordinary.
0: And yeah, it's it's like scary and thrilling and beautiful all at the same time.
1: Mm, sounds beautiful. And are you only doing in person workshops in America at the moment? Whereabouts are you? I'm in Southern California. And you do your workshops around Southern California?
0: Yeah, I do them around Southern California right now. I have traveled for workshops, which have been fun, and I'm definitely open to traveling for workshops. But what I'm actually really hoping to work on next is doing a more of an online program. Mm. Um, which I haven't really announced yet, but I'm okay with it being on the podcast because I got to hold myself accountable because that's what I'm doing next. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's it. That's it. It's a wonderful way to do it. Now you've said it, we'll be checking in with you and waiting to see when we can get to the online world of Mosey. It sounds fantastic. And for now, how can people find you? First tell us about your website and social media.
0: And my website is libertyhorsemanship.com. And the best social media to find me is definitely my Instagram. And that's Little Pistol Annie. And that's all one word. And it is Annie's full name, and that's how I picked it. <laughs> um, that's her registered name. Beautiful. That's that's probably the best place. Yeah,
1: and it's a it's a beautiful Beautiful thing to behold. And you also have a podcast. And in this podcast, you actually speak about training as well. So it's a wonderful way to people to go and have a listen to your thoughts about training. And then there's other times where you have guests on it for interviews as well, talking about different things. And there's some eye opening ones in there. The ones about the kill pen. I I had to have a lot of deep breaths when I was listening to that one. But I think that as responsible horse people, we all need to open our eyes a bit more. So it's very brave of you to do that one as well.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a hard one. It is so hard to hear about, you know, what's going on. But I also agree, like, I know for me, I'd always rather know. But yeah, that is holding back a lot of tears for that one. Yeah, the podcast is called In the Spirit of Horse and we're about to launch season two. So I'm really excited. And this podcast is definitely getting me excited to jump back on board with that.
1: Yeah, podcasting. We've had a long talk about podcasting before. We love it.
0: I love it. <laughs> love
1: it. <laughs> Such a great medium and it's a wonderful way to, to get the message out there. And you can be found on iTunes as well as all other podcasting platforms.
0: Yes, I believe so. The only thing I'm not on right now is Spotify.
1: Mm, Beautiful. Well, Mosey, I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for everything that you do. You're such a brave, brave human and um, a beautiful person to be doing what you're doing. And thank you not only for what you do for us, for coming on this show, for sharing uh, what it is that you've learned, but also thank you for everything that you do for horses because we love them and you're leading the way. So thanks. Thank you
0: so much. That, that really means so much to me. And, and I really love your podcast and I'm just so inspired by everyone who's, who's really taking a chance to, to dive into kind of the unknown with horses and to try to find a gentler way you know? Yeah.
1: So thank you. Absolutely. And I really look forward to keeping in touch and I'll be keeping an eye out for that online course when it comes. Maybe we'll get you to Australia one day. I would love to come. (laughs) love to go to Australia. Thanks again, Mosey. Thank you so much. It's been really great. You may have thought leader for her generation was a bit much at the start, but to me, someone who is brave enough to speak up for her horse and work on a movie set with a horse at full liberty, not a single halter or rope is used. That is brave and deserves the title of leader, in my opinion. To connect with Mosey, you can find the link in the show notes or on the blog of my website, comealongfortheride.com.au. Please check out her podcast called In the Spirit of Horse. She has some fantastic episodes where she camps out with wild horses, She has one where she speaks with Emily Boss about breaking through fear, and another with director Daryl Getman about the beauty of horses. You might like to also take a look at earlier episodes in this podcast series and learn how calmness can really change your training with your horse, with Donna Anderson from One Horse Life Australia. I'm on a mission to make the world a better place for horses. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts or tell your friends about the podcast. You will find all of the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who would love to listen but isn't sure how. I would love it if you would get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as it is mine, so please... If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.